Hey, welcome to Real Talk with Nina. I'm Nina, and shit is about to get real. Today's guest is the man, the myth, the legend. Sometimes I wonder if people even know that I'm married, but I am, and it's my husband. This is a first, having him on an episode. So his name is Matt. Say hi, Matt, so they can hear your voice. Hi, Matt. No, (laughs) that was like a dad joke. All right, so these were some Real Talk with Nina community anonymous submissions of questions that came in when I said that I was going to do a podcast episode with my husband, I asked specifically for questions for us, whether or not it was about us as a couple or just maybe a different point of view or a male point of view that's different from mine or, or just a different point of view altogether. And we got some really good ones and they were mostly about about us actually. So the first one, and it's come up a lot, so I'm surprised I haven't really had this conversation with you like in real life until the other day when you told me that you don't really know how to answer people when they ask you what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what, what do you, I mean, it's such a normal question to, for people to ask, you know, I, people ask me all the time, Oh, what's your husband do? I'm like, Oh, he's a teacher, you know? And so I feel like, I mean, at this point, I think most of your friends and colleagues either know what I do or just they just don't care and that's mm. fine. But for the times where people have asked you like, Oh, what does your wife do? What do you tell people? And is that, is that awkward? Uh, not awkward in explaining what you do. It's awkward in not being able to explain <laughs> what you do. Like what kind of husband doesn't know what his <laughs> wife does for a living? But you do. Um, you just yeah. Have- so usually I, I answer, you know, she's a relationship coach. She kind of specializes in like the romance intimacy field mm-hmm. uh, you work for a private company that helps tms uh users um and sometimes i have to explain what that is and then i always throw the full-time mom in there yeah oh, I, I, I feel I, like that's a that's a job that doesn't always get uh the recognition so i, I like to throw that in there well, that I, way if anybody goes back to you they can at least say that <laughs> you know Oh, your husband said, you know, this, this, and this, but really you wanted me to say you're a full-time mom, Lexi. I I appreciate that. I don't think Mm. you've ever even told me that. Well, Uh, I think you know. I do. I do know that I'm a a full-time mom. And as, as far as the mental health piece and the TMS piece and, and all that stuff, for those of you who don't know, I do freelance work for a mental health marketing company that specializes in helping to grow psychiatric practices, specifically if they're using TMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a great treatment for a treatment-resistant depression and and many other uh, mental health struggles. But they also, these doctor's offices also have ketamine treatment for mental health. So it's, it's really, my thumb has always been on the pulse of mental health and it, and it always will be. And I think that my sexuality practice is, it's all kind of intertwined with mental health. So that was a little side note for those of you who don't know that side of me. I don't talk about it often because my main, you know, my main business is, is real talk with Nina, but I do and have always been involved somehow in the mental health space. And I, and I plan on always being involved with that. So, so you said you weren't embarrassed, right? But not about what you do know. So like when you now, if I went to church and father was like, so tell me what your (laughs) wife does. I'd be like, um, (laughs) she helps people, takes care of the kids. She does the Lord's work. That's what you say. Yeah. She's crying right now. (laughs) 
I do. I think I think I do do the Lord's work. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Helping people is the Lord's work, right? So there you go. I mean, I'm not really religious, but I mean, if I were to be religious, I feel like that's a religion I could stand behind. Is absolutely you know? helping people. Right. Beautiful thing. All right. So here's a question. Um, what was the hardest change when our first child came mm-hmm. home, and how did we work through it? Now, mind you, we have two. Um, we have two right now. They're almost 12 and 9. So we've been at this for, you know, for a few years. But yeah. when it first happened, what do, what was the hardest thing for you? Well, I wish I could say it was like our our nightlife got affected, you know. I wish I could say like, oh, we were doing clubbing and we were always going on vacations, but we're going out about as much now as we did back then. Yeah, we really we really we really weren't, you know, partiers. So that that piece of having a baby didn't it didn't really uh, change much but what did from as a from a husband's perspective what changed the most for you when- um well since it was our daughter who was born first i think not only did i have to kind of just grow up and that that didn't even happen right away yeah you know there was some selfishness i think that that lingered um some college life that lingered until some crazy chick called me out on it um <laughs> I don't so, know what you mean. Explain that for just whatever do you mean? <laughs> Explain that for a second. Um, no, but let's go back in <laughs> to the original question. So, uh, what, what changed? Yeah. So, um, obviously, I had to to kind of evolve a little bit, especially being a dad with a daughter. You know, just like how would I want you know my daughter to be treated, kind of thing. And you know, you, you start to see things differently. I think when you're a, a dad of a daughter, you start to look at the way that men look at women, mm. you know, and not being a woman, I don't, I, I still don't fully encompass everything yeah. that a woman has to go through as far as like uh, the way society looks to mm-hmm. them, you know, their, their physical issues, mm-hmm. you know, menstruation and all that, that mm-hmm. glorious stuff. Uh, but now that my daughter is going through it, you know, it, it's kind of being thrown in my face because she's not a little girl anymore, yeah. you know? So I know the question was about what first changed, um, but it really, it's become this ongoing process about how I need to accept certain things and and change my opinions and beliefs on certain things mm-hmm. to accommodate my you know immediate world, my yeah. you know my daughter. Well, does do you think it ever having a daughter? Do you think it may, has made you kind of look at maybe your past um interactions with women how you viewed women i mean it's not i think most men like i had jonathan on the Mm. last podcast most men and honestly and women and really anyone in between like any any human being has internalized misogyny like i've said things where people have called me out that i was actually saying something that stemmed from kind of a misogynistic point of view where like i clearly have underlying beliefs that women are less than because that's how our culture raises us. And I don't even know that it's present until somebody brings it up to me. Do you think that as a guy, you having a daughter, you've had to be like, shit, you know, like, cause you've said to me before, Nina, you don't know how guys think mm-hmm. about girls you know, and you said, I do. And it makes me sick thinking about it now that that girl is going to be our daughter, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think just whether it's guys or girls, I think we all have a very immature sense of reality 
when we are younger and immature. Mm-hmm. And I think guys, especially when it comes to how we view women, you know, I think we're, we're, whether it's taught a certain thing or we're just, you know, we believe a certain thing. I think most guys grow out of that. Unfortunately, there are still some guys that stay in that immature mindset and will always view women um, negatively or as yeah. objects, however yeah. you want to yeah. describe it. So when I look at uh, our daughter, I look at basically she's going to have to go through middle school and high school where guys are out to quote unquote prove, mm-hmm. you know, their, their masculinity amongst their friends. And they just don't know that they don't know, mm-hmm. you know, they think what they think is okay. And mm-hmm. I, I was as guilty as anybody else with that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you view, you view girls, you view women in a certain way. And you, ha- cause you just, you haven't grown yet. You haven't processed the, the actual world around them. And mm-hmm. girls don't know how to advocate for themselves right. at that age. So it's like by accepting it, guys, and I'm not, I'm not blaming women in any way. Um, but by girls, not calling guys out, guys don't know any better. And, and to an extent, girls may not know mm-hmm. any better. And that's my greatest fear for our daughter is not that guys are going to be assholes because guys are assholes all the time, whether it's in middle school, high school, or in a nursing home, mm-hmm. you know, she's always going to have to deal with guys, um, being dicks, mm-hmm. but her strength and confidence not being at an adult level, you know, in, in middle school and high school, will she have the strength to put a guy in his place mm-hmm. or a girl? Yeah. Right. Care. And I, and I think too, is that again, like I think it was my last podcast episode, uh, episode, whatever it was, 13, I think was all about the me too movement and issue and, you know, situations I've been in my life and how I've always looked at myself as this confident, independent woman. And even, I mean, what was I in my late thirties when that happened with my previous boss, Oh but yeah, I, that was a good time. You know, I mean, I was a, yeah, a grown woman and still these hardwired beliefs for women is like, don't make any noise. Don't come off as a bitch. Don't be over dramatic. And so I remember even in sixth grade, right? Like flirting was guys were snapping your bra. Oh, do you remember that? Did you guys do that? Sixth grade. I was still doing that like six weeks ago. <laughs> So that's not okay. (laughs) You can do it to me. It's okay. I'm giving you, I'm consenting to it. But I remember being like, oh, okay. That means 100% guilty. That means he likes me. That was what I, that's what I thought. I'll be honest. I was always impressed with myself. If I could get in there quickly, pull it back and get a good snap. But no, did did a girl ever say, don't ever do that to Uh, me again? I feel like I'm a little biased though, because I'm your wife, mm-hmm. but I feel like if a, one of those girls was like, don't ever do that again to me. I, I really don't no, think you I would have. Been have. So <laughs> yeah. I think you would have been trauma. Yeah. yeah. So, and, but not all guys are but like that again, at a I, young age. I mean, I, I can't speak for other guys. I probably only did it to people I was comfortable with. Right. I right. mean, they may have still been boiling inside and being like, I'm going to put this kid on his ass if right. he doesn't stop. But, um, but yeah, yeah, you've you've definitely. I will say that I think some of your biggest challenges. It's like when I pants you in the house, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I still I still have that you know middle school mindset. But I but I feel like you're right. You know, as as a as a man and as a father, I definitely you know we've gone head to head about these things. You know, I want her to be this free, empowered, confident girl. And although I know you want that for her too, I think you actually know more 
of the reality that scares you than I do. I wasn't in a guy's head in middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. So I can assume what they're thinking, but I, I don't know. And yeah, I it was always a race. To, it yeah. was a race to the top. Like, you know, who could, I don't want to say be the bigger man, but like who could, you know, make out with a girl who could get to second base, third base. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, it was always a competition. Um, and again, that's not to justify it, but it's funny, like having a daughter, it's almost like that line from the Patriot, which I know we're doing movie references now. Yeah, so, so I don't know anything. But there's a, a scene, and I'm, I'm probably going to get the line wrong, but it's always like, a, um, my greatest fear is that the sins of my past will come back to haunt me. Mm. So it's like, as a, as a dad to a daughter, you're like, Shh, crap, every crappy thing I ever did to a girl, yeah. now I have to worry about yeah. another guy doing, yep. you know? Yep. And I don't even think I was that bad. I could be wrong on that, but I, I think I was pretty uh, I don't, I middle can't, of the row. Yeah, I can't imagine you'd be, I, I can't. I. I'm not saying that you were innocent because I feel like m- most men are a product of our, of our culture, but yeah. um, you know, I definitely have seen your fears and level of sensitivity to women's issues. Um, and just to the fact that they are there, I feel like I've seen you be challenged several times as she gets older, you know? And I think the hardest part is because you know, a reality that I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's scary thinking about that, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly things that are uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, not necessarily from a, like a physiological standpoint, but just from a, I don't want to let go. Yeah. Yeah. But that being said, like, I, I kind of rely on you for a lot of things. I'm like, great. You know, you deal with it. Yeah. Um, but if you weren't around, let's say we were divorced or something, right. like, I wouldn't have that problem stepping up and you know, being that person for her, mm-hmm. it's just convenient that I don't necessarily have yeah. to be that person for her. Like, I don't have to tell her how a tampon works. Or, you know, <laughs> but if you stop. had to, I, you yeah, could. Yeah, yeah I would you could. We've had, we've had scares where you've had to play doctor on me if I thought I got a tampon mm. stuck up there. <laughs> Good times. You were my daughter. You were That's somebody true. else's daughter. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I didn't think that. I didn't even think that that would be a challenge. But hey, remember the question? Yeah, it was what was your biggest challenge when the first baby came home? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. No, for we, sure. I think we blew right by that. No, no, no. I, I really do. You basically, you Learning were saying front to back, not back to front. Yeah, yeah. That that was the big. But you learned very quickly because right. I couldn't change diapers for a while after my <laughs> C section. That was great. So that was all you. Yeah. You, de- you definitely changed. Many a first diaper before I did, and I never had the dad gag. No, you didn't. You were no, a champ. No, I could, I could just get in there and grind yeah. through it. <laughs> um. So what about what about between us? Like, forget you as a dad. How about mm. you as a husband? What was the hardest thing since kids early on? Like, you know, young kids. What was the hardest thing for you as my husband? Um. I think in the beginning it was the exhaustion that you were feeling. I think that, you know, that kind of impacted our intimacy, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was just, you know, it's like not in a petty way, but having to split that time, having to share the attention. Um, And and again, it's not petty at all. It's it's real to hear that. uh, I think it sounds like, you know, like I'm, I'm the firstborn now having to share attention with, mm-hmm. you know, the new baby. It wasn't that it was, it was more like your, your energy level. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, by the time the kids were, to, or, you know, when our daughter went to bed, it was, 
you were exhausted or I was exhausted. So it was, you know, it was like working a night shift, Yeah, you know? Um, so that was, that was interesting. And there's now there's things like as our daughter ages and unfortunately is tiptoeing closer and closer to a sexual being, <laughs> you know, that is, that is absolutely having an impact on us because now we have to be more cautious and, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So there are interesting changes, you know, in the beginning it was one thing and then it transitioned to another thing yeah. and now it's becoming another thing. Kids are, they're, kids are funny. Yeah. But you know, and I remember one, my therapist said a while back when the kids were really young and, and some of you, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're, you're pretty open-minded and, and not very sensitive and easily offended. So hopefully you'll be okay with this because I agree with it. She said, Nina, kids are amazing for families. They are very hard <laughs> for marriages and they really are. I mean, I, I think some of the biggest barriers to sex life and, you know, uh, to sex life, period, are absolutely kids. And then you're also adding the stress of watching two of the most important people in your life navigate life and you you're like experiencing their pain and all the stuff they go through so it's like not only am i and i know that you're much better at at compartmentalizing that than i am which probably shouldn't surprise anyone but it's more like there's value to being dead inside right? <laughs> you're not dead inside i pulled it out of you um i was so dead inside <laughs> and then you had to wake it up um, but i definitely feel like now it's not only like my own life experiences that could be stressful or yours. Now it's two more people. So now I'm not just worried about, oh, my job or your job or your, you know, a surgery. It's like, oh my gosh, this kid and their academics and this kid in the social life and the playground and the friend arguing and the boyfriends and the girlfriends and watching what they do on technology. Like it's this whole, it's like doubled the, the amount of stress that we have because it's not just us that we're thinking about anymore well no and i think we're, we're constantly being judged by ourselves no, I, I mean most people outside of us don't give a rat's ass about us or our kids mm -hmm. as far as how we're parenting but we get the facebook family you know the, uh. the family that posts vacation pictures and pictures when they go out to dinner you know yeah. everything looks happy go lucky with them and meanwhile you know they're screaming at their kids on the car ride to dinner you know that's the only vacation they've been on in 10 years, mm -hmm. you know? So we're always comparing ourselves to other people and you start looking inward and you go, Oh my God, like, you know, our, our, our child is having meltdowns or our child is just got in trouble in school for saying, you know, a bad word. Mm -hmm. And although these things are not necessarily major, you start to question your parenting. Yeah. How, how is this? Is it, it's gotta be something that I'm doing or mm -hmm. not doing, you know? So it's like, the greatest challenge I think to being a parent is you're responsible for not effing this kid up. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be your job is to keep them alive mm -hmm. and make them good people. Now it's, well, you have to be their best friend. You have right. to provide them with all the necessities of life, but also all the necessity of being cool. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think parenting is, is becoming more challenging from a social standpoint. My parents have said, flat out to me i don't envy your generation i'm glad that we were parents when we were parents in the you know in the 80s not now 
days. I, don't, I do not envy mm-hmm. your generation of parents at all. And I get it. Oh, the eighties were awesome. They were, they were so, but so, okay. So you were saying that you, you felt like you had to share your time mm. with me and, and two other human beings and that, yeah. And that sucked. And so let's go there for a second because yes, I have a feeling people are, are wondering. So as a sex coach, I think the assumption, and I try to make it really clear that this is a false assumption, but for anyone that's wondering, oh, sex coach, they must have the best sex life and perfect and always has been perfect. And they probably don't struggle at all. I mean, here's somebody who works on sex and relationships for a living, right? So what do you have to say to those people who assume that our whole relationship has been great and our sex life has always been awesome. Our sex life is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but okay, we've come um, a long way. Yes, now it's yeah, now, there's, now it's great. No, there's there's but, highs and lows, and mm-hmm. I think early on it was it was brutal. It was let's it was just be honest. Bad because of just bad communication. I think was the the challenge. But also, why, why, not, do you, why do you think that we have bad communication? I agree with you. Well, I think. But, um, not knowing what was the cause mm-hmm. or what was the, the issue meant it wasn't something that we could talk about mm-hmm. because we just didn't know what to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I th- when I say bad communication, I mean like non-communication because we didn't really have a good grasp on what to say to each other. You know, I think as about, about our lack of sex life. Yeah. yeah. About the causes, what was, yeah. you know, what was uh, contributing and to I'm that. I'm not even sure I knew to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I remember having such an aversion to the idea. Like I wasn't ever horny. I, I, I've always been attracted to you. Mm-hmm. Always. I was never like, oh, I'm no longer attracted to him, but I'm attracted to all these other people. I was. I literally felt that that part of me was dead. Well, I think it, it also snowballs. You know, you get to a certain point where you're angry at it for you know, and then it becomes. If I try to, you know, initiate something, mm-hmm. then you're angrier. Yeah, you know, and I wasn't angry at you. No, no. Although I, I, I may have been. taken it out on you because I, I, that's just I didn't know what was going on. But mm-hmm. I, it was years where it was an issue. I didn't want to do anything. I was never in the mood. It wasn't like I wasn't even getting off on my own. I had no interest. Mm-hmm. in the whole thing and that whole part of me had shut down and i think i was angry at myself because i felt like i was broken and then i felt like i was letting you down on a daily basis so there was a lot of guilt and shame and i know we just talked about this the other day but i was saying how a lot of times the highlight is always on the person that has the higher sex drive and like you know poor poor them and and correct like it sucks to have a higher drive and feel rejected i'm not taking away from that but it's also important to look at the the partner that doesn't have the you know has a lower sex drive or just is not interested because there's shame there's guilt i was embarrassed i was angry at myself i was scared i was scared that you you would go someplace else because you know i think i think it was a legitimate fear i mean i can't i mean how long can you expect somebody to not feel desired or you know i mean it was rough. That was rough. And I think because what was going on in the bedroom was so tense, our relationship out of the bedroom was really tense. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I think, you know, we still have highs and lows between the two of us uh, yeah. you know, as far as sex drive. I would say prior or early on, because of that lack of communication, we were both left thinking, what's the other person thinking? Mm-hmm. 
But now when we experience the highs and lows, you know, where one person's just kind of in that rut where they're just like, eh, no, I'm good. We both understand that it isn't us. Mm-hmm. The other person is going through something and, yep. you know, and it's normal, it's natural and it's, it's not personal, mm-hmm. you know, and it's almost like you're, you're more able to empathize with what they're going through and make that easier to work with to kind of make those periods go shorter. Dude, like I seriously feel like I, someone's going to think I paid you to fucking say that because recently I made an Instagram story or maybe it was a reel. It was a reel. And I said, so if you check out my Instagram at Nina Real Talk, you'll see the reel where I specifically say this. I said, the the reasons why it's better to explain why you're not in the mood versus just saying I'm not in the mood. It's so easy to take it personally if you don't explain why you're not in the mood. So now I feel like we are so good at being like, I'll just, both of us, and even not just me, like you'll say like, you know what, I'm just in a bad mood. Like I, I haven't had good workouts at the gym. My shoulder hurts or, you know, I'm just, um, the weather sucks. And it is, it's so much easier for me to be like, now I come from a place of compassion. Like, okay, how can I help them get through the, the shoulder pain, the shitty weather, the, I'm not. I mean, I have a few ideas. Well, (laughs) exactly. But in that moment, I'm not going, why doesn't he want to have sex with me? What's wrong with me? Why is he? It's more like, oh my gosh, that sucks. Like, I know what that feels like to feel just like not good. And I think it allows for an opportunity for vulnerable conversation too, in those moments. Yeah. I'm also getting to that point in life where I'm like, it's eight o'clock. I gotta get to bed. Otherwise, I'm never gonna get up early anymore. Yeah. So it's like eleven o'clock, and you give me those pouty eyes, and you're like, yeah, lady, that that ship has sailed. But I think if I don't get to bed now, tomorrow, the whole day's gonna suck. Right. But we've talked about that. We've said, mm-hmm. okay, like I'm clearly a night owl, and when there were times where I was like so like raring to go, you'd be like, okay, we need to talk about this, like. At 11 o'clock, just starting this session, especially because I take a decent amount of time, that it's not it's not going to work. So don't, let's not do that. So now I'm very conscious of the time. Like, okay, he's got to get up in the morning. It's 10 o'clock. You know, either this is going to be like a quick one, you know, where I'm really focusing on him because if I'm really focusing on me, it'll take a little longer. And so we know that now mm-hmm. and we're open about it. All right, let's look, let's look at another question. <laughs> What would you say to a couple that loves each other but lost that I like you feeling? I mean, there's people that get divorced and still love the person that they divorced but just aren't compatible. And I'm not saying that everyone who feels the way that question was asked should be divorced. I think there, there are things that are causing that separation between love and like. It's almost like, well, why did our sex drive go away or why are we, you know... There are things causing it. It could be children. It could mm-hmm. be just you've gotten so comfortable in, you know, what the heck was that movie uh, with Jason Bateman where he would come home and. You're asking me about his, a movie reference? His wife would throw the sweatpants on. It was like a race. He would like drive as fast oh. as he could to get home. But that's the thing. It's like once the sweatpants were on. We, ha- we had that exact Yes. Once the sweatpants were on, he knew sex was out of the question. We get so comfortable being comfortable Mm -hmm. that we lose that sex drive and there could be underlying i mean look not for nothing some people just let themselves go and it's you know and 
I think it's usually guys who just <laughs> feel like they're always going to be attractive no matter what. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think there are, there are a multitude of, of reasons that I think can contribute to that. And if people don't figure out those reasons or don't talk about it or try to explore that, then they're going to be stuck in that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I love you, but mm-hmm. kind of mentality. And then it's sometimes it just, it, unfortunately, they just doesn't they, work. They, yeah, they've grown so far. And some people can live like that. Some people mm-hmm. can be totally fine. Like, you know, especially your, your more devout religious people mm-hmm. that, that truly believe that marriage is sacred and they should stay together no matter what. And if it works for them, that's great. Great. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know my, my parents loved each other tremendously, but they were not always, you know, the best of friends. Mm-hmm. I think as they, they grew, they kind of, they, they started doing their own thing. And yeah. But I know how much they loved each mm-hmm. other, and I never questioned that. Yeah, people can love each other, and then just all those little things kind of just snowball and and make it so that before you you know what the hell happened, it's just you look at each other and go, "What the hell happened? Like, right. who, who are you? Where are we?" And I think I think I think a moms too. I think we, and I'm sure even single dads or or, or dads in general, but I do think it's it's more moms is we lose our identity almost overnight. We go from like, I went from Nina to mom. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I didn't know how to be sexual anymore because you know, as like, as a mom, we're not supposed to be. So certainly remembered how to be. (laughs) It's like riding a bike, baby. You remembered. (laughs) But I forgot for a little while there. I lost my identity. It was all I thought about every day. It's all I ever talked about. It's all I ever was concerned about was the kids. And I kind of forgot who I was before the kids. Um, and that that sucked. That really mm-hmm. sucked. We lost sight of Nina and Matt. I was just mom. But how did we go from, you know, those first few years were pretty tumultuous. They were They were rough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at where we are now, mind you, we, we've been together for almost 18 years. We've been married this summer will be 15 years. So we're not total newbies at this. And so we've been through a lot. Like, I don't think anybody's immune to divorce, but how did we get to where we are now? What, what would you say? How did we get to where we are now? Um, th- that's a good question because I don't think there was any kind of come to Jesus moment right, where no. it just all of a sudden snapped. I think it was like a, a work in progress. Mm-hmm. But as far as the actual, like getting along and liking each other, there's getting along and liking. And then there's like wanting to <laughs> right, spend time. Right, 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 right. Um, I think there was a time where we just lacked that motivation mm-hmm. to, to want to, to do stuff. And I mm-hmm. think at, at times we also got complacent where, if we didn't do anything, we kind of were like, well, well, we have kids and right. we have jobs and stuff where we just kind of use that as an excuse. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think now we're, we're getting to a point where our kids are getting a, a little bit older and we can find ways of, of working with that mm-hmm. to also do stuff for ourselves. Yeah. But also knowing when we need to do stuff for ourselves by ourselves That's important. in order to not be super stressed out, mm-hmm. you know, about certain things. And that helps us. Yeah. You know, I argue with you all the time about like, just go shopping, go do this, go do that. Yeah. I'm really bad at that whole <laughs> self-care thing. Um, yeah. You know, to take care of yourself mm-hmm. so that you're not stressed about certain things, you know? Right. But Yeah. 
Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. But yeah, I feel like liking each other takes effort as well. If you have two people that have their own shit that they bring to a relationship and neither of them work on their own shit, what do you think is going to happen? I think for the first chunk of our marriage, we both had our own shit that we didn't work on. It's a lot of shit. It is a lot of shit. Yeah, no, that's why I said, I think way back during one of the questions, just that, that growing out of certain mindsets mm -hmm. and certain mentality, whether it was like how you treat girls or what you think of girls or what you think you're supposed to do with girls. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also that, that same less mature mindset translates to other things too. You know, you have a certain way that you think you're supposed to behave or certain mm -hmm. way you're supposed to act, or at least I did. Yeah. Um, and I haven't let go to all of those things for sure, but I think I don't think either of us have. But yeah, and there's things I don't want to let go of, mm -hmm. you know, or don't think I should let go of. And mm -hmm. then there's things that you know I, I've kind of just matured out of. Mm -hmm. um, and then things you just you realize, like, yeah, that was a kind of a stupid way of looking at that thing or mm -hmm. that situation. What role do you think, if any, that I had in your growth as a partner well as shocking as this may be i can <laughs> at times be stubborn that's ridiculous yeah right but mm -hmm. um, yeah, i'm bringing this to your attention mm -hmm. now um, and i really never noticed actually so uh, i'm glad cause yeah no because I, I, I do a good job of hiding it you do um so with my let's say lack of openness at mm -hmm. times or you know to to, to new ideas mm -hmm. you had just done a really good job of beating me down until I just lacked the, the, the strength to fight back or the desire to fight back. And in doing so, I just, you know, I was able to give up on my stubbornness at moments and kind of hear what you were saying or listen mm -hmm. to you. And there's times where I, I just didn't really give a shit what you were saying and in in that sounds weird um no, not with you it doesn't <clears throat> okay mm -hmm. um but i knew i didn't want it to I, I, again you you may find this hard to believe mm -hmm. i avoid conflict you do which is really funny because yeah. you are you can be an ornery son of a bitch so in my head i'm going this man would be perfect for confrontation <laughs> Yes. Conversation, but you do avoid it. But, but but like on a positive note, though. But let me finish. Real. Let me finish. Okay, okay. So in my attempt to avoid conflict, I allowed your messages to filter in mm. because I didn't have the energy to f argue back, or I didn't want to see the the, the repercussions of arguing back. Mm -hmm. So I think I allowed your messages uh, to to get through. So over time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that Mount Rushmore started to take shape. Mm -hmm. Do you know what Mount, Mount Rushmore is? Well, the president. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, there's times where I think I, I wanted you to have an impact on me and mm -hmm. times where I just didn't realize it was happening or mm -hmm. times where I was like, all right, whatever, just have an impact on me. Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, getting along <laughs> is really so much more about taking responsibility for your own stuff to be honest, right? You would agree. Like the way we started becoming re like really desiring to be around each other was when we, we worked on our own stuff that helped us interact at a level that really, I think we began to appreciate each other for who we were 
not who we weren't. Mm-hmm. Like, how could we change the other one to make it more like yeah, me? I think in that kind of uh, return to immaturity, it was more about me. Like, you know, I don't need to change. I don't need to do this. I'm fine the way I am. And it, if we got divorced or, you know, whatever, I probably would have stayed that way. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's fine. Um, but it was, it's more about like, okay, how do I need to still be who I am, mm-hmm. but make it work for a family? And yeah. I think as, as we both matured and, and, you know, sought help to kind of understand ourselves a little bit better, I yeah. think, you know, that, that allowed us both to, to still be who we are, right. but also understand that who we are is married yeah. and within that agreement there are some things that need to change or compromises mm-hmm. or even just looking at the other person's point of view, yeah. whether we agree with it or not, just understand how the other person feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think like most couples, we both went into, I always say this too, to when I'm coaching people is that it's not about being right. It's about being right for each other without sacrificing core values. Mm-hmm. So whenever we would get into a conversation, if we disagreed on something, I would be lying if I said my goal was to get you to see that I'm right. Right? That's like I think that's human behavior. Is mm-hmm. I want to be right, and I want everyone to see that I'm right. But the issue is that there is no universal right and wrong for most things. It's really just whether it works for you or it doesn't. And so instead of trying to get get you to think like me and to be like me and to believe that I'm right in the situation, it was more like, okay, how do you f- explain your thoughts on this? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll explain mine and being able to let down our guard and our ego and our defenses and be like, yeah, you know what? I totally, I get that. I don't think that way, but I get it. I, if I were you. I get where you're coming from. And then all of a sudden the conversation turns more to like a compassion thing, mm-hmm. you know, then you're wrong. I'm right. And I'm going to sit here and fight until you believe me that I'm Well, right. that's the thing. There's certain things that we will never come to agreement mm-hmm. on. Yes. There are certain, there are certain conflicts in a relationship that will never be resolved. And I think the more we get comfortable with that, right? So like there are conflicts that won't be resolved in, in the, the goal isn't to not have any conflict. The goal is to say, okay, these things are going to remain different, like as far as our opinions. Can I handle that? Can I live the rest of my life with this person who has a differing view on this specific thing? Right? There are things that you and I will probably never agree on, but those things have never been so big where I was like, this no, isn't going to work. But it- like like you said before, I, I tend to be more on the conservative side. You tend to be more on the liberal side. Mm-hmm. I have my views on things, you know, typical political issues. Let's mm-hmm. say, you know, guns. Mm-hmm. We have a common ground. We agree to disagree to an extent on certain things, but the the core of each of those topics, I think we agree, we agree on. on. Right, right. Yeah, but I then d- it's like the important stuff, like. What was the color we wanted to paint the bathroom? And we agreed wholeheartedly. <laughs> I on mean, that. that's definitely more important because that's the shit that we have to deal with every right. day. You know, like <laughs> right. But yeah, I think that's a good lesson, though. I think what we learned through this election is that we we actually agree on pretty much almost every issue. It was how we got well, there that was a little different. Just like in a marriage, and you know, 
we all want the same things. We just, we don't always know how to get mm-hmm. there. Or we have different ideas and it's, it's, you have to find that common ground. So within a marriage, you have two people that have their own egos, their mm-hmm. own personalities. And sometimes those can be very strong and they can clash. So we both want the same things. We both want to be happy. We both want a great sex life, a, a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a successful career or whatever the case is. And sometimes those things can, can we can butt heads. Right. They look different yeah, you know, and, in our heads. Yeah. You know, so there, there but there's commonality. Mm-hmm. There's, there's shared thoughts and ideas and, and goals. And it's, it's a matter of saying, okay, well, Yes, there are differences, but focusing on the things that we agree on and, and want and then just figuring out like, okay, let's, how do we get there? How do right. we, how do we get there in a way that works for both of right. us? And then just letting certain things go. Yeah. But if you love someone and you realize, again, it's not being right or wrong, it's being right for each other without sacrificing core values. I've learned, because I've got an ego too, right? That it isn't about being right. It's not, you know, I think for a while it was like me versus you. It hurts relationships when we kind of live in a marriage that's based in a boxing ring. No, I think that's the whole point of marriage is it, you have to compromise. And sometimes there's things that you're not going to give mm-hmm. up on. Mm-hmm. And the other person needs to realize like, okay. Is this a deal breaker or not? Agree that's- to disagree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there are certain big things like I want kids. I don't want kids. Right. Well, you should have thought that one out right. beforehand. But right. Like- or if the relationship structure, like I want an open marriage and I, and you don't want an open marriage, that to me would, breaker, would sure. be a deal breaker. But like when you like, is it pistachio or Rocky Road? Right. Like, right. Not- clearly it's pistachio. Right. <laughs> but you know, well, I would actually agree with you on that. But yeah, yeah well, nobody likes Rocky Road. Right, freaking, freaking nuts too. Is that nuts and marshmallows? I think there's nuts and marshmallows. The mar- it's the marshmallows <laughs> that get me. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Last question. So one of the questions was, how do you feel about your partner having friends of the opposite sex? I think it's a good thing. See, with what you do for work, it would be absolutely naive for me to think that you don't communicate or have friends. And the good thing is, like, I don't have a lot of friends. Because, <laughs> yes, wait, wait, sh- listen, hear me out. I'm kind of antisocial. <laughs> so when you make guy friends, inevitably they, they become, become my guys. friends. I know. I feel like all of my so, guy friends are like they like you better than me you're, now. Like, you, sucks. You're kind of like my go out and find friends person. <laughs> I do. I pimp you out to my mm, guy. Friends. No. Yeah, it's true. All of my guy friends, most of them end up being like, you'll tell me something about them. And I'm like, but I, I didn't know that. Oh no, he just texted me. I'm like, great. That's fucking great. Awesome. No, but I think it's important too, because if you have friends that are of the male persuasion, Mm -hmm. then it negates your argument for me not having friends of the female persuasion. I work in an elementary school. Everybody's you know. It's it's like a ninety five percent female run school. So just out of human nature, you become friends with certain people. You've gone out to drinks with girl with female friends before for work, you know your work friends. Yeah, but there's always been some right. guys there and stuff. I've <clears> been <throat> alone with guy friends before out for drinks. How does that make you feel? Like, honestly. <laughs> Truthfully, yeah. I was probably more glad that you got out of the house and did something <laughs> fun for once. But no, I don't worry about you. I don't have that lack of trust. You made a joke once, but it's so true. You're like, Mina, I don't ever think you're going to cheat on me because you would literally call me right before you did it, crying hysterically from guilt, mm-hmm. right? And it's true. 
I absolutely would call you and have this psychological breakdown about why I'm about to do this. And please come pick me up because I changed my mind and I feel so guilty and it's accurate. But I think a lot of that comes from the brutal honesty that I have with you about so many things that on numerous occasions you've been like, Neen, you can actually not (laughs) tell me as much as you tell me and we'd still be okay. You know, so I, I understand that there's some cons for oversharing, but Mm -hmm. for, and I, and I've lived with that my whole life. Like I am an oversharer. Oh, I'm well aware. I know. Um, but the pro is the, the conversations we've had about other people has, have been so honest. Like we'll tell each other when we think somebody's really hot, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think because we're so open, it's like, for us specifically, that's kind of how it works best for us. But I think when something becomes taboo, that's when it gets really uncomfortable for people. If you have a partner who's very open and, you know, especially, you know, sexually or just, you know, just, just open and tell me anything, like share, share whatever you want with me, people feel more comfortable. But if, if we're just kind of closed off personally, if, you know, you're more introverted in Mm -hmm. certain ways, whether that partner would be like, oh, yeah, I'll peg you, don't worry. Mm-hmm. You would never think it because that person's kind of closed off. And, right. you know, like if you don't feel safe with that person, it doesn't mean you can't have a, a happy, long lasting marriage. But I think there are certain things that you just don't, you don't trust to say. And you live your whole life without feeling comfortable saying it. And, you know, it, it can breed resentment mm-hmm. if it's a big enough thing mm-hmm. um or just disappointment yeah. you know like I, I wish we had this this thing between us i don't know if it would have been well received so yeah i think you and i don't have an issue with it because we are so open and if at any point you and i have ever felt insecure or jealous or questioned We've spoken up about it. I purposely introduce you to my guy friends. Yeah. Because I'm, that's probably your biggest downfall. That's how you lose. I, I lose all my friends because <laughs> they go to you and I lose them. But the other piece is it took me a while to realize my fear is that I will look like the stupid wife. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was my thing. I don't, if you're flirtatious, great. Like whatever. Um, but don't ever make me look like the wife that doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, any guy I speak to knows who you are, knows that I'm happily married, knows that I'm not looking to go anywhere. That you know what is the first three things you say to them. Probably. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nina. We're going to be friends, but I'm happily married. I'm not going anywhere. I'm flirtatious, and it means absolutely nothing. Okay, carry on with your with your message. No, but like I feel like that is something that. I've been open with you once, once I finally grasped it was it's not that I have a problem with you having female friends. It's not that I have a problem with you being flirtatious. What, what I have a problem with is I hate the thought of being like that. Oh, like I don't ever want a girl to be like, Oh my gosh, her husband is so flirtatious and she has no idea. Like that poor woman has no, that to me is what would bother me more. You know, I and, can see that, sure. yeah, and so that's we've talked about yeah. that. I do feel bad, you know, while we sit here and we say like, oh, you know, we had our ups and downs, we had our rocky starts, and like we're in a really good spot, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are not, yeah, you know. So for us to sit here and say like, well, this is how it worked for us, like it sounds so simple, and there are a lot of people out there that you know are asking questions like this, and and truly they're they're grasping at straws right now to to, to try anything mm-hmm. to to fix things, and 
I think the biggest thing is we both wanted yep. this to work. Yep. There might be people in a relationship who don't where it's want very it one sided. Yeah. You know, like, you know, a lot of people poo poo, you know, couples counseling and stuff like mm. that. Um, I happen to highly recommend it. You know, we, I'm a we little could, biased. At one point, we considered it and yep. we chose not to do it. Um, I don't think it was a choice. I think it we, wasn't well, like we're not going to. Not we to. ended up we, not doing it. Yeah, it was like scheduling the kids. How are we going to do this? But I think we also just started to grow back into that um, point in our. our relationship where we felt we didn't need it yeah but again i don't think either one of us was avoiding it like no out of embarrassment no we were both definitely open to it when we had those hard times but yes i think that's a good point is that where what i try to make obvious all the time is that just because this is my profession it doesn't mean that i've never struggled it's actually because I've struggled, mm-hmm. that I'm so passionate about this profession. And I can speak to you from a point of, of compassion and empathy because most of these things I've, I've dealt with and I get it. And I also get that sex is not perfect. Marriages are not perfect. Parenting is not perfect. You go through really, really hard times. And we've learned how to come out on the other side. And so if I can give back that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So no, we don't have a perfect marriage. It doesn't exist. No, we don't have a perfect sex life. It doesn't exist. Are we at our best right now overall? I would say, yeah, I think that we're in probably as good of a place as, as we've ever been, but we've been working for 17 years on our relationship. This isn't like, Oh, I'm, we met our soulmate and everything was perfect. Like, well, I think, you know, because you know so much about sports, you'll understand this with, you know, analogy. You hear this, you know, within sports, it's like you have to lose in order to know how to win. Mm. You know, people that only win, when they finally lose, they don't know how to handle it. Mm. People that, you know, they win and they lose, losing builds character, you know. So for for relationships, there are, there are wins and losses, there's highs and lows. Mm. And like what you were saying, as far as what you do for work, because you've experienced those lows, it's not just, oh, I read this in a book, mm-hmm. so here's what you need to do. And again, your relationship with me is not the same as everyone else's. No, but no, no, no. There's the empathy. There's mm-hmm. the, yeah, I, I, I've been there. I can appreciate that. And no relationship's perfect. Right. You know, my own is not perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, you know we, we kind of teach from our own life lessons. Right. And I think that that's what I hope makes me more relatable is that if I show up on social media, like everything is perfect and never talk about the hard times we've been through, I guess because personally, I wouldn't be able to relate to a therapist or a coach that portrayed their lives as perfect. I personally wouldn't be able to relate. So I take that and go, okay, I want people to relate to me. And in order for that to happen, I need to show them that I'm just human, I happen to, yes, I went to school for counseling and for human sexuality, and I did. And the biggest lessons I've learned had nothing to do with any of my education. And that's also important, is that you can have a gazillion letters after your name. I'm not, I'm not like shitting on that. That's important. I'm still paying my fucking grad school loan. But it's the lessons I've learned and my ability to coach others and to help others and to empathize is not because I went to school for it. It's because I've been through a lot of that. And so for me to, it's always so nice when I go, when when if a client is complaining about something or struggling with something and I'm able to be like, my husband and I went through that too. Here's what we did. 
again, like Matt said, I'm not saying it's going to work for everybody. We don't have the same relationship as everybody listening to this. However, if there are people that do resonate with our type of relationship, the struggles that we've been through, that's, that's who I'm trying to reach. And that's how I feel like I can reach people is because I've, I get it. I get it. I, I don't think I'd be able to help the way that I do if I was completely foreign to relationship struggles, you know? So, so we answered all the questions? I, well, most <laughs> of them. They asked about um, what are the things that make you two laugh and how do you keep that as a priority, if at all? Um, humor is like my number one way of life. I, in healing, in relationships and friendships, all of it. I, mm -hmm. If I'm not laughing, I'm going to cry. So like I, humor is huge. As far as we are concerned, if I'm not feeling connected emotionally for whatever reason, there, I'll literally say, I'm feeling disconnected. Can we watch a show? Can we, you know, I will just say, literally, I feel disconnected. And I love, we, there were certain, there's certain YouTube channels that we'll watch together where we'll just like wheeze laugh. We love to laugh. And so it isn't so much that I feel like you guys don't know this stuff is I feel like we knew it too and didn't do it. So there's a big difference in going, yeah, I know what makes us laugh great. But if, if I'm not going to speak up like, Hey, I'm feeling disconnected. I really want to connect with you. And I know we're not, we don't have much of a sex drive right now. So let's do this. Let's watch this show. Let's watch this YouTube channel or let's like, you have to put in the effort. You have to. Man, comedy is always good. But even like yesterday, you know, we had to go to target mm -hmm. and one of us could have easily gone. But I was like, no, I'd rather go with you. Right. You know, it was a, what about an hour of our time pissed down the drain? Yeah, because what we wanted wasn't but, there. But we were together. <laughs> well, yeah, it was just spending mm -hmm. some time, you know, with each other alone in the car, and then you know, obviously in Target, but just just hanging out. It doesn't always have to be anything, you know, major. Just yeah, spending time. Yep. Again, it comes down to making, putting forth the effort, acknowledging what's missing, and literally stating it. I'm feeling disconnected. This would make me feel more connected. What do you think? It's, it's literally saying that out loud. And I'm not, I'm saying that because I've actually done that multiple times, right? I have, yeah. I've been like, and you know, and so it's really just not only knowing when you're feeling disconnected, but knowing, Hey, let's do this. Let's, let's watch this. Let's go for a walk. Let's do this. Let's do a puzzle. We've had wine some nights over the pandemic when you couldn't go out where we've had a date night in where we've like had wine and did like a, a puzzle which sounds so lame and nothing that I would have ever fucking thought to do. But during that puzzle, we weren't talking about the puzzle. We were talking mm -hmm. about whatever would come up. Totally kicked that puzzle's ass. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You did. It's really knowing, knowing, acknowledging that that feeling is there, that disconnectedness and being like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And this is what I think would help. What, you know, what are your thoughts? Well, I think too, you know, you need to understand Girls are not always so deep emotionally, mm -hmm. although many of them are. Mm -hmm. Guys tend to feel disconnected through sex. Mm -hmm. So if, if sex is missing, that tells us that something is wrong. Which is really interesting because I think people look at that as, oh, guys are just sex hungry. And all. there's, a, there's other than the, the physical feeling of feeling good, there's absolutely something in a relationship for any gender, but absolutely men, I think this like just isn't spoken about is that 
emotionally you feel disconnected without sex. It's not just the, oh, I'm a guy, I need to get off. I'm sure there's some level of, you know, DNA where, you know, as the dominant lion in the herd kind of thing, Mm -hmm. you know, if nobody wants to have sex with us, then we feel less valued. Yeah. Whatever. I get it. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a difference between not being in the mood and being open to getting in the mood. And I talk about this a lot when I talk about spontaneous versus responsive sex drive. Mm -hmm. but very often, especially for cisgendered women, most of us, not all, have a responsive desire, which means something has to happen first before our heads get in the game, right? So so sometimes like women, if they're in a hetero, and this is predominantly heterosexual relationships, uh, if the woman is kind of like, yeah, I'm not really into it, but sometimes when I start having sex, all of a sudden I kind of get like turned on. Sometimes that is what it takes. There's nothing wrong with that, that you literally have a responsive desire, which means you need something to respond to. And sometimes that is, look, I'm I'm not in the mood now, but I'm open to getting there. So it's like let, going to the gym and you don't really feel like Yes. It. One, you know, once you get there, you're like, all right, I'm going to have to work. It's not so bad, I right? I really don't want to get there right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. So there absolutely have been times where I know both of us have have been sexual when we're not in the mood, but we also know and we're open to one, getting in the mood, and two, like, look, I'm not dying to do this right now, but I am really into you and I feeling connected. And if this is one of the ways that that's going to happen, awesome. Yeah, as long as it's not past 10 o'clock. Right, because then, then you have to go to you, sleep. You've missed that window. Right. So how do you think how do you think it went for your first podcast on Real Talk with Nina? No, it was good. The questions were good. Um, your responses are good. Right, not so scary. Mer- no, no. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And um, again, this is the Real Talk with Nina podcast that launches every other Tuesday. You can find out more about me at realtalkwithnina.com on Instagram at Nina Real Talk. Hope you enjoyed it. It was something new for us. So pretty stoked to go back and edit it. And, uh, and we'll be launching it in just a few days. Have a great night. Bye.